This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is your host, Tom Wheelwright, founder and CEO of WealthAbility. So a lot of uncertainty with a president-elect Joe Biden and an unknown Senate majority. And with that, we have a very special guest to help us navigate through the uh, potential of what happens under a Joe Biden presidency from a tax and economic standpoint. And uh, Andy Puzder has an enormous amount of experience, um, probably best known as CEO of Carl's Jr. Um, probably, probably the easiest one for us to remember. But Andy, it is absolutely terrific to have us on, on the WealthAbility Show. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks for having me. So could you just, uh, you know, give us a little bit of your background and, uh, you know, why you're, uh, why you're doing podcasts now? What are you, what are you, what are you up to right now? Uh, well, um, I started out scooping ice cream at Baskin Robbins back in uh, 1966, 67. Uh, went on, went to put my way through college, put my way through law school. I uh, didn't have any family support or any grants. I had to work my way through. Uh, became a lawyer, was a trial lawyer from around 1978 to around 1991. Then I began doing more corporate work. I became in-house counsel, general counsel at Fidelity National Financial, uh, and then uh, CEO at CKE Restaurants. Carl Carter, who was the founder of CKE Restaurants, was a client of mine and a, and a dear, dear friend. And then from CEO of CKE, I retired in 2017. And I've been writing. I wrote a book called The Capitalist Comeback. Um, I've written a co-authored a book called Job Creation, why the why it, uh, how it really works and why the government doesn't understand it. Uh, some pamphlets about getting America back to work following the pandemic and articles in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, uh, Fox, uh, Real Clear Politics, New York Post. Um, and then I do podcasts and TV because I think it's important to get the message out there about about capitalism and free markets and how incredibly well they work. I, I, I love it. And you were nominated as Labor Secretary, right? For yeah. uh, by President Trump. And I was, and I was viciously attacked by the, uh, the Democrats on the left. And at that point, you could only lose two Republican votes, and then Mike Pence right. could come in and break the tie. And I lost three. I, I lost Johnny Isaacson's vote. I'll never, I still don't understand why. He's retired now. Uh, but with... Uh, uh, with that one vote short of getting confirmed, uh, I decided that rather than have a loss on the Senate floor in President Trump's first month with my name on it, uh, I would withdraw. <laughs> but President Trump and I have remained uh, good friends, and uh, I've worked with the administration uh, since then. So uh, obviously a big fan of capitalism the, uh, and why capitalism works. So what do you think happened? Why, why, a, why a, a Joe Biden gets elected, even though 
by all appearances, the economy is good. Um, you know, people tend to vote their pocketbooks, but in this case, did they? Um, did they vote ag against the high income earner? Um, first of all, can you just set that stage for us? Well, there's two possibilities. One possibility is that uh, that President Trump actually won the election. Where you know, where he he certainly claims that. And I got to tell you, know, I'm not I'm not a conspiracy nut. I but there's a lot of strange things. <laughs> this is I you know that the, the media can try and cover it up, but there's a lot of strange things that happen. A very significant portion of the country, I think 47 or 48 percent, thinks that the uh, election was stolen. And I think we need to resolve that and make sure that at least by the next election that we have systems in place to make sure that we that that there couldn't be fraud uh, for people to feel confident about the election. The second possibility is that people uh, they didn't you couldn't vote against President Trump based on the job he did. I mean, the job he did was incredible. 2019 economically was the historic high point in our country for the labor market. We have the highest median family income increase since they've been recording the data to the highest number ever. $68,700 since they have been recording the data. And poverty dropped to the lowest level ever, 10.5%, and increased by the largest amount ever, 1.3 percentage points. So we had an incredible year for American workers, more job openings than, than uh, people unemployed for, I don't know, 24 consecutive months, 20 months of 3% uh, plus wage. So you couldn't vote against him on the economy. Now, the virus hit. And the economy immediately collapsed, but it didn't collapse because President Trump shut things down. It, matter of fact, he didn't shut things down. The states shut things down. And I mean, did people really expect we'd shut the economy down and it would just keep rolling along? Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. And then we had the most dynamic economic comeback in the history of the country. We had five straight months of historic job gains. Uh, uh, three of the months were record setting or four, let me see, J May, you know, June, July, August. So three were record setting, two were the highest since 1983, but for the preceding months, uh, the preceding four or five months, and the economy is getting back on track. So I think, I don't think it was the economy. I, now people were upset about how we handled uh, the coronavirus, but quite honestly, I think everybody did the best they could. Certainly the Democrats like uh, Gavin Newsom or, uh, or our Governor Cuomo in New York didn't do any better job handling it than President Trump did, and by many measures did worse. And ultimately, his his pursuit of a vaccine, I think, is what's going to save the economy and the country. And obviously, we've now got two, possibly three. That that's positive. I think people and foreign policy. My God, we're talking about peace in the Middle East. You know, this is incredible. What's going on uh, in on the international scene? America's back. We haven't gotten involved in any foreign war. So. His record as president for first term president was nothing short of spectacular. But a lot of people just didn't like his personality. They didn't think he was presidential. Uh, I, tr I argued with people. I shouldn't say argued. I discussed with people at the campaign trying to emphasize what a good guy he is. I mean, if you know, nobody who actually knows President Trump doesn't like him. He's a very good person. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I've met him personally a, a few times um, before he was president, and that was my impression, too. So, you know, that's a, it's always a struggle, right, because his public persona is, seems to be so different than his private persona. But let's talk now. Let's, okay, so let's presume that, uh, you know, it looks like Joe Biden's going to be the next president. And uh, first question is, Let's talk about Georgia, because I think January 5th now is as big an election as November 3rd, um, or is going to turn out to be as big an election as November 3rd. What will the impact be of a Senate controlled by the Republicans versus a Senate controlled by the Democrats? 
Well, if, um, if in fact, the election goes to Joe Biden uh, and we hold Georgia, the Senate, the Republicans hold Georgia, then that means tax increases, significant changes to the tax code, the Green New Deal, uh, these efforts to use vast amounts of federal funds to empower unions, uh, the, the, all of and, and the efforts to um, uh, you know destroy the uh, the energy sector, all of those things uh, will will be much more difficult to accomplish. You really can't do those things through executive orders. You need legislation, and as long as Mitch McConnell and the Republicans are in charge in the Senate, I think I think things things will continue to go along uh, kind of at that that pace. That you know, remember in the Obama administration after the Republicans took the House. We never had spectacular economic growth, but, but we ended the disaster that was the Obama uh, presidency when, they, when the Democrats controlled the House and the Senate. The decline stopped. And I think, we'll, I think we could see things chug along as long as Republicans keep control of the House and or the Senate. If they lose control of the Senate and, um, and we, don't, we do not have control of the House now, for the next two years, uh, we need to step back and, and hold our breath because the economic programs that Joe Biden is proposing would be a disaster for the country. I would encourage people, go to his campaign website. Just go there and read every program, every proposal is government spending. More government spending, more taxes, more government involvement in your life. Not one proposal, not one single proposal is a proposal to encourage businesses to grow and create jobs. You know, we, with President Trump, we had he cut taxes, he slashed regulations, he encouraged domestic energy production, uh, he, and negotiated trade agreements that were fair to the United States, not only free trade, but fair trade. Uh, all of that'll be gone. Not, n those things that encourage businesses and drove business optimism will disappear, uh, and uh, we will be in for a very rough time. I want to take a moment to tell you about Norada Real Estate. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Narada Real Estate Investments provides you everything you need to invest in some of the best deals around the country. Everything from turnkey rental properties to mortgage financing to property management. Visit their website to learn more and download your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at turnkeyrealestateinvesting.com. That's turnkeyrealestateinvesting.com. So I have a question for you. So one of my concerns has been um, the talk about the increase in the corporate tax rate. And because I thought that when we went to a 21% tax rate, which I thought was long overdue um, to, to bring the corporate tax rate down, that it might encourage companies and investors from outside the United States to locate in the United States, that it would actually almost make us a tax haven, um, like uh, Ireland made themselves a tax haven with their 12% tax. With all of the discussions during the Democratic primary, it, uh, you know, every, every one of them basically said, we're going to undo that corporate tax rate reduction. Now, you know, people don't see this as affecting their pocketbook. I mean, you know, you can make the case, well, but your 401k is in the stock market. But what do you think happens if we have a 28% corporate tax rate, because while it's still lower than the 35% rate we have, and still, you know, comparable to a lot of other countries, Europe, et cetera, they're around that 30% target. Um, what do you think that that does as far as investment in the United States? 
Well, well, we know what it does. It'll drive countries out of the United States. And it, you know, it happened in, in the sector I was in uh, when I was CEO of CKE Restaurants, which was Carl's Jr. and Hardy's, uh, as you mentioned. Uh, you recall Burger King moved out of the country. Burger King bought Tim right. Hortons, which was a Canadian right. uh, chain, and decided to relocate to Canada. I mean, why, why, would you, why would you relocate to Canada? Well, the reason is because the taxes, Pfizer, who's now come up the first company to come up with a vaccine. Uh, you know, I, one, of these, one of the dreaded big pharma companies is now gonna be saving millions of American lives and getting, helping us get our life back to normal. They were gonna move out of the country. They were trying to do one of the, uh, one of the transactions where you merge with an out, of, an out of the United States country to avoid the tax burden here. I, you know, Apple has brought back tons of money to the United States because now we don't have that, that terrible a tax penalty. And I, I, so, I, so it does, this will affect people's lives. It will affect tax revenue. Uh, the criticism of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is, it was extremely misplaced. Number one, revenue did not go down uh, because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Revenue has basically stayed where it was. But the top, even though corporations paid a lower rate, and people that made over $500,000, so high earners paid a lower rate, as it turned out, high earners went from paying 37% of the tax burden in this country to paying 40%. They paid $16 billion more in 2018 than they did in 2017. So after the, the uh, TCJA and before, and people under who made less than $500,000 paid $80 billion less in taxes, even though rates went down. This is because itemized deductions like the SALT deduction basically disappeared and the standard deduction was dramatically increased. So we've seen just the opposite result that Democrats claimed would occur. People have, uh, instead of leaving the country, uh, businesses have been staying and others have been moving into the country. Everybody's benefiting from That's why, you know, for, for 2019, we had 12 straight months with more job openings and people unemployed. And for nine of those months, there was over a million more job openings and people unemployed. Do you know how many months prior presidents had um, since they began recording this data with more job openings and people unemployed? No idea. Zero, wow. none. There was Obama, Bush, they didn't have a single month where job openings exceeded people unemployed. For Trump, there were 24 consecutive months and all of 2019. So th these are the benefits that people got from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And when there's more job openings, business do what? They compete for employees. What happens when you compete for employees? Wages go up. That's why we had 20 straight months of 3% wage growth. You know how many months we had post-recession for Obama where we had 3% wage growth? Zero. <laughs> None. So this is, uh, you know, we, we, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was, was a miracle for the American economy. Uh, it helped everybody. And when you hear otherwise, the data just doesn't support that. So, so you talk about um, capital. Let's, because I'm, I'm, I'm a huge uh, fan of entrepreneurs. I've, de I've devoted my life to entrepreneurship. Why is capital and, and bringing capital in and, and capital availability, which is really what the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act did, was make capital a lot more available. Why is that so important to an economy? Well, you, businesses can't grow if they don't have capital to grow. Uh, and in capitalism, which, you know, that, that it's, it's really a not, not a fair term. I mean, Karl Marx actually came up with it. A fair term would be free enterprise. But I'm, I'm okay with capitalism. I even put it in the title of my book. That's what we're calling it. That's fine. Because an economy needs capital to thrive. Businesses can't grow 
If they don't grow, they don't create jobs. If they don't create jobs, there isn't competition for workers and wages don't go up. So we've, we've got an economy that, we've got an economic system that infuses cash, puts it right where it should go towards corporations that are trying to meet the needs of, uh, of American consumers or the world's consumers, which is what, what capitalism does, is what entrepreneurs do. And, uh, and it's created an incredible, incredible benefits, not only for America, but across the globe. We've seen the reduction in poverty for billions and billions of people across the globe because of American style capitalism and the way that it creates capital investment and in, in, even in, in third world countries that adopt it as an economic system. So, so, so what do you think happens if, let, let's say we do get uh, democratic controlled, you know, all three houses basically, um, and we get uh, these tax increases, what do you think it does uh, to the economy, to jobs, and then what I'd like to talk about after we do that, before I forget, is still how do we bridge this gap between uh, the rich and the poor? Because we, we can't ignore, there is a big gap, and I think that is what drives a lot of these elections. But let's start with what happens if we get these uh, uh, tax increases. You know, what do you think happens from an economic standpoint? Well, first of all, the tax increases, everybody's talking about tax increases for the rich, right? He's gonna raise the tax rate for the wealthy. Well, guess what? They want to eliminate the SALT deduction. They want to put back in place a deduction that was responsible for 40%, right, of, of the increase in taxes for people over $500,000. Before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, uh, there was $1.3 billion claimed, billion dollars claimed in, um, in itemized deductions. And after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that number dropped to $650 million. 40% of that decline was the loss of the SALT deduction, the, uh, the, the state and local tax deduction. Right. If, you, if you reinstate that, you actually decrease taxes for wealthy people in these, in these high-tax states. Right. So what they're going to do is they're going to decrease, decrease taxes for wealthy people and increase taxes on everybody else. So number one, how does that help middle class and working class people? Number two, their taxes, they're talking about taxes on carbon. They're talking about energy-related taxes. Well, who do you think that hurts? And they're wealthy people. You think a guy that's you know, living in a, in a penthouse in Manhattan or has got a mansion down in Boca Raton is going to worry about whether his air conditioning is going to get shut off? That's not going to happen. That's going to, that's going to be impact uh, working people. And it's going to impact businesses. Because when businesses know when government spends, their taxes are going to go up. And they know if their customers are being taxed, they have less money to spend. Well, if you know your profits are going to be reduced, you know, you're not going to have as much money to support growth. And if you do grow, your customers aren't going to have as much money to spend. What do you do? You stop growing. When you stop growing, you stop creating jobs and wages stop going up. So this, it, this would be a complete disaster for the country. I, I, I hope the people of Georgia understand what a, a critical, critical, critical role they're playing in this because the, the direction of our country for the next four years is in their hands. And maybe, maybe for many years after that. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. 
I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. All right, so I, I do want to switch just because you know, this has been fascinating. Thank you so much, Andy, for having this conversation with us. I do want I, I do want your take. I, I you know we we can't ignore that there is a lot of pressure coming because of this wealth gap, and I don't think there's any question. There's a wealth gap. Okay, so the question is, how do you solve the wealth gap? Obviously, what uh, the well, call it the left, but what, what the Democrats want to do is they want to take money from uh, the rich and give to the poor, though I question whether it won't just go to the bureaucrats. That's my, my philosophy. Um, but let's, you know, that's one way to do it, obviously, is to bring down the rich. What role does capitalism play and what role should capitalism play in reducing that wealth gap? Let me direct, let me talk about two things. One is what do the Democrats want to do? And number two, how do you reduce wealth and income inequality? And with respect to what the Democrats want to do, they don't want to tax the rich. They want to tax rich Republicans. They don't want to tax rich, <laughs> tax rich Democrats. If they wanted to tax rich Democrats, they wouldn't be talking about eliminating the SALT deduction. When you eliminate the SALT deduction, you benefit people in these high, rich people, not middle, middle class people, working class people do not take the SALT deduction. The vast majority of that deduction goes to rich people. So if you want to take wealth from rich people, you're not going to, you're not going to put the SALT deduction back in place. That's only if you want to tax people in, in, in low tax states, like my tax, my state is Tennessee. We have a zero state income tax. So the SALT deduction laws, they really don't matter to us. It matters to people in New York, Illinois, California, these high tax states. So I, I, I think what the, Demo, what the Democrats claim they want to do and what they actually want to do are, are two very, very different things. The, I think Margaret Thatcher was, or no, it was Winston Churchill who said that, uh, Capitalism is the uh, unequal distribution of prosperity and socialism is the equal distribution of, of, of poverty or, or despair. And, <laughs> and, and that's absolutely true. Now, let's talk about income inequality, first of all. Number one, income inequality, the way it's measured, what you hear from Bernie Sanders and people, doesn't consider two things. One is it, it, it looks at pre-tax income. So it doesn't look at taxes, which reduce wealth for people at the top, right? And it doesn't consider government transfer benefits. So it doesn't look at welfare, which increases um, income for people at the bottom. So you, it, it, and so if you, if you, assuming that that's the case, assuming that's a fair way to measure income inequality, if you're gonna increase taxes and redistribute the wealth to people at the bottom through these government transfers, the way they're measuring income inequality, it wouldn't change at all. What Democrats are talking about doing wouldn't even affect income inequality because they don't consider taxes and they don't consider uh, government transfer benefits. Okay, but even looking at income inequality, even looking at the way they're measuring it, right, which ignoring taxes, ignoring government transfers, for the last two years under President Trump with these policies that increased wages for working class workers, for blue collar Americans, this was a blue collar economy, income inequality decreased both of the last two years, according to the Census Bureau. Now, that you didn't get that reported a lot. In fact, last year, they, the, the press misreported that it increased. I had to do an article, I did one in Real Clear Politics, that came out and said, you people are lying. This is, here's the numbers. It decreased in 2018, and it decreased again in 2019. Why? Demand for workers, 
you know, it was, if you, if you don't think it was hard to get a job done, you don't own a house and tried to get something done to your house because you couldn't find somebody to do the work, you know, back in 2019. I mean, people were switching jobs for better jobs all the time. Wages were soaring. That's because there was a demand for workers. That's how you reduce income inequality. You don't reduce income inequality by punishing people that create jobs or by punishing people that have been successful. What you, how, the, the way you reduce income inequality is increasing wages at the bottom more than you increase them at the top. And that's exactly what happened in 2019. In fact, wages for workers went up about 3.4%. Wages for their managers for higher income workers went up 2.2%. So, so what we saw was an economy that was reducing income inequality. And when you reduce income inequality, you also reduce wealth in, uh, inequality. Because where does wealth come from? It comes from the money that people earn and invest. There's, I think it's 70% of uh, investments in the stock market are by pension funds, IRAs, 401ks, uh, insurance companies you know, that, that, have, right. um, that pay benefits. Uh, mutual, and then mutual funds. All, all of those things benefit working class Americans. So when people can invest in the markets, when they can buy homes, and obviously we tried to, to, to force home ownership on, on to poor people that couldn't afford homes without increasing their income. So what we ended up was with the real estate bubble of 2008. But when we encourage job growth, when we encourage business growth, when we encourage wages to go up because there's a demand for employees, then you see income inequality, wealth inequality, and poverty all decrease while medium family income increases. And we know that. We know it because in 2019, that's exactly what happened. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and of course, I've been a business owner for uh, 30 years. And I know that and I've, I've been through those times when uh, the labor market's been tight and, and it's terrible as an employer, yes. frankly. I mean, it's frustrating because uh, people want higher wages. It's hard to find people. Um, uh, the people you do get tend to not be as good as what you were getting before. So, you know, to me, a down economy is actually good for employers uh, from the standpoint that they, they can hire more people and they get better, better quality people for lower prices. So I do appreciate that. So looking at this from a practical standpoint, Andy, you know, outside of moving to Georgia and voting in the Senate race, what can people do? You know, anybody who's even middle of the road, right? I, I, I think that, I think this country is primarily middle of the road. I don't think it's primarily right or left. Um, I, I still think there's a whole group of people that's in the middle. What do people do practically in order to prepare for, uh, you know, what's coming over the next few years? Well, luckily, if we if we carry Georgia, and you know there are there, I mean, there's a, a group called uh, Make America America Again. Bernie Marcus has that group that's raising money to try and uh, uh, support Republicans in Georgia. Uh, Senator Todd Young and Karl Rove have a group, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, that's raising money for the. So you can contribute to uh, uh, to the campaigns in Georgia. I think that's important. I think people, you know, I, I hear about people flocking in. These Democrats are bringing them in by the busloads to try and influence the election in Georgia. So hopefully the election in Georgia will go our way. And if it does, uh, I, I, you know, really, I think things aren't going to change dramatically over the next couple of years. It'll be frustrating. They'll do everything they can to implement these collectivist socialist policies, uh, to try and redistribute wealth, to do all the things that they've committed to their base that they will do. And I think you, you, you can protect yourself. I don't think the stock market will drop materially. I don't think real estate will decline materially. If we lose Georgia, 
uh, you know, I don't know what you do. I, I, you know, hide in fear, put it in the, I, you know, put your money under the mattress. It, it's, you know, even if you put your money under the mattress, I think there's a risk that the dollar is going to depreciate so fast that it's really going to be harmful because we, we, we've, God, we're so far in debt. And all they're talking about is further increasing that debt, which what happens to the dollar when, when you have to start printing them to, to meet the, the needs of the government? Well, the dollar becomes worth less and less and less. And at some point, the world doesn't even recognize it as the world currency anymore. So we're, I, it, but I, can't, I can't tell you how big a threat I think a, a Democrat control of the House and the Senate and a Biden and eventually a Kamala Harris presidency uh, would be for people. And, uh, I, you know, I, I don't have a great solution as to what you can do. The good news is, is that no, I, I've never seen a um, politician who's ever given up any power that he had. And, yeah. and, and the power to... Um, affect the economy through the tax law and actually use the tax law to to create incentives i think is actually something that um i don't think that's going to change no matter who's president no matter who's in the house or who's in the senate and so from that standpoint we can always look at the tax law and say well look all they're doing going to do is they're just going to change the incentives they're not going to eliminate incentives so we'll always have those incentives so yeah instead of being oil as the incentive it'll be solar as the incentive. So, so I, I look at that as maybe there's the silver lining is that people don't give up that, that they're not willing to give up that power or that control. So under a Biden, while we may have a, a shift, it will be a shift in incentives, not an elimination of incentives. What do you think? Yeah, and I, and I think that actually the stock market likes it when the government spends money, as, you, as we've seen over the past couple of months, uh, when there's when when the stimulus looks like it's going to happen, the market goes up. When it looks like it's not going to happen, the, the market comes down, uh, because big big corporations do make um, do make a, you know a lot of money when the government spends money. You know this is they're they're the ones that profit from that. Small businesses not so much, and which is why you don't end up with the kind of labor market that we had uh, back right. in 2018 and 19. So I think the stock market should be fine, and real estate seems to be pretty solid at the moment as well. I think because people are realizing they don't need to live, you know, on the Upper East Side of New York uh, to, to work at one of these jobs or, you know, if they can get a house just about anywhere in the country. I know, I know the, uh, here in the Nashville, Tennessee area that, the, I mean, it's just on fire with people moving in mostly from Illinois, some from Atlanta, Georgia, surprisingly. Um, I think that's the, actually the place they're moving here from the most, uh, but also New York and California. You, everywhere you go, there's people moving into the state because of a low tax rate. Yep. Low real estate prices. So I, th I think I think as as long as we keep control, I think we'll be fine. If if they get control of the House and the Senate, uh, there there could be a switch in investment uh, directives. But I'm 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 more concerned with a the impact uh, that that would have on the economy in general, of the the dynamism behind the economy, and and the impact it would have on working and middle class Americans. I think it would be much much worse for working middle-class Americans than it will be for upper-class or, or wealthy Americans. I think, uh, I think they will weather this fine. It's, uh, it, it's the middle and working class that will suffer through a presidency, uh, a Biden or a Harris presidency. Uh, interesting. All right, well, thank you very much, Andy. Uh, if, if we wanna get more information of, about your book um, and, and your writings, where, where would people go? There's a website, it's called andy.puzzler.com that my, my son set up and it started out as a way to just kind of collect things I wrote so the family could see them or TV interviews. Uh, and now it's got, it, you know, there's a bunch of followers and they, every, every TV appearance I do, everything I publish goes there. 
as far as the book, uh, The Capitalist Comeback, you can get it on Amazon, and I hope people give it a read. Awesome. Thank you, Andy Pesner. Um, very great to have you. Uh, great discussion. And just remember, you know, the more educated we get, uh, the more we can do about whatever comes our way. And we're always getting educated. We'll always have way more money and way less taxes. Thanks. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.